0: I.V.M. Welcome to
1: Smartphone Nation brought to you by Omidia Network India. This is a podcast where we talk about how the next half billion are shaping their future online.
2: The next half billion or the NHP are the core of this podcast. They represent the second big wave of Internet users in India, hence the term NEXT. We define them as the cohort of 500 million first-time internet users who are coming online via their mobile phones in the last five years.
1: From a demographic standpoint, they are mainly from the bottom 60% of India's income distribution. They are owners of small businesses like beauty salons, kirana shops, and they're also blue-collar workers, domestic workers, security guards, etc. They are building a greater comfort with tech and represent the hustle and ambition of an aspiring India.
2: Today we are going to talk about how iMinute enables IT smart sourcing and project services iMir delivers computer vision and natural language processing services that power AIML applications for large global enterprises with the help of an inclusive workforce comprising women, low-income youth and people from marginalized communities. We have the CEO Radha Pasu with us today to talk about her story of impact. Radha, thank you so much for making time for this conversation. We really appreciate it. And uh, the reason I'm excited about today's conversation is because you are literally marrying two things which in my head at least could not exist in the same world. You are talking about machine learning, data annotation, and rural women and youth, right? So at the very outset in today's conversation, the first thing I would like to understand is how do they exist in the same world? And uh, tell us about how did you even come about this entire opportunity, this idea? What's your journey been like? We'd love to know that.
0: I think that um, that's a very good question. And I like that right in the beginning because it allows me to share what is the fundamental mission and value and why we created iMerit. I call it two feet planted firmly on the ground. One, is very much focused on global clients, technology, in our case, AI, and making business really successful. And the other one is doing it with an inclusive workforce and marrying the two together with technology. So let me in turn ask you the question, which is what we asked ourselves. There was a point in time in the 80s but nobody believed you could do IT in India. I know that because I was very much part of it. I was part of starting Hewlett Packard at that time as one of the first two multinationals ever to set up a software subsidiary in this very much a garden city called Bangalore. And nobody thought you could do IT in India, and it has changed absolutely. It, it's changed the Economic prosperity in India, it's created a burgeoning middle class has changed so much in India, right? And it's become in made India at the forefront of information technology. But what it has not done, or it just is doing now, is bringing that to embrace, it's been in the metros, to embrace young people all over India. And so when you look, when you ask this question, we have to ask ourselves, which is what we did, how is it possible? Not why is it not possible, but how is it possible to be at the global forefront of technology that we started with digital technology and evolved into AI and do it with an inclusive workforce and that inclusion being 50-50 with women. And people say, oh, my gosh, 50-50 women in technology. And I say a little bit in, with a little glib, but I still ask the question a bit tongue-in-cheek. Have you seen the world recently? It's about 50-50. If that is possible in the world, why is it not possible in technology? And we asked ourselves that question. We looked at young people from different kinds of backgrounds born digital, born mobile, because that's the world they are born in, and looked at how they can become and be at the forefront of a global AI workforce. And that created iMerit.
2: So uh, you beautifully explained this fact that, uh, you know, nobody thought we could do IT in the 80s. And now we are doing tech and we are, of course, progressing further at every technological revolution that has come in as a country, right? But rather looking at your own journey, at what point, or maybe it's a continuum, did you feel inclusivity has to be a key principle in you know, the kind of work uh, you do? right? Because most entrepreneurs in the tech space, for them, it's mostly an afterthought at some level. I don't think it comes very consciously to them. But what was it about your thinking or journey which made you go
0: towards that? So I think the... I'll start a little bit before I merit. It does go back to sort of growing up at a time when I started in an all-girls school and run by Irish Catholic nuns, which prepares you for the world in other, many ways. But then I went to engineering where it was 2,800 guys and 17 girls, almost an all-boys environment. And you learn about the importance of inclusion because you are one of those people who want to be included, and it sort of registers when you're in technology, especially at the times I really was very, I would say grew up in technology, in, in especially digital technologies, at least on that one area of inclusion, which is gender. And I'm very careful when I say inclusion, it's not just about gender. To me, gender is like 50,50 comes naturally, you know it's like part of doing business, you start to look at and as you grow businesses, and I took a company public on NASDAQ in 2000 in the US, and as you grow businesses and scale businesses, you look at what creates business value and you look at how that business value can be created with and inclusive. I mean, a lot of people use the word impact and things like that, with an inclusive workforce. Because in our case, that inclusive workforce and that approach to business brings us great business value with our clients. So when you talk about entrepreneurs and that comes as an afterthought, it's really for us fundamental to the business value we have created. Why is that true? Uh, recently, even Gartner wrote about it, but I'll come to that. But what is that business value we've created? At a time, I'll give you one example. We have about the lowest attrition in the industry, in this big global AI tech industry. At a time when attrition rates during COVID years and post-COVID years and during that great resignation, as you journalists called it, it was running like 30, 35 percent and still does in many parts of it. India and in the U.S. as well. Our attrition has been, or rather to put it the other way, our retention has been in at the 90 percent. And with women, and I looked at some numbers today because I monitor it every month and look at what issues could be caused. With women, it, our attrition is running about 7 percent. What does that do? It means clients see continuity. There are clients, some of our largest clients, where they will say, "My gosh, you're, you we have more continuity with your team than we have with our own team." And this is a great business value, especially in AI, in AI technology. What is AI? It's the whole. It's pattern recognition and learning through examples and building. Machine learning and machine learning models that learn by examples. So, the more number of annotations you do with the clients, and more of the data you look at, and more of the edge cases and the workflows, and you look at anomaly labeling and edge case monitoring and things, the knowledge we build. Let's say we have a team that works with a client over three years with attrition lower than 10%, you have built such a Such a fountain of knowledge for that client. And as they then take those AI models into production, we're bringing a lot of that intelligence about how those models should work. What are the problems? What are the anomalies? Monitoring of it. We're bringing that knowledge into it. So you see that there is a huge business value. Definitely, when I say two feet planted firmly on the ground, for me, the inclusive workforce, the inclusion is of great social value as well, but no one can sit here and say, oh my gosh, no, nobody can say to us, you're building this business and so good of you, you're doing good. And my response is, we are doing good for our clients and for our business. The ability with which people are in a learning mode and grow with the technology and the evolution brings us a lot of business value. So inclusion is a very important factor in our business value and contribution to our clients. And I think it's getting there. Every tech company is evolving that way. I talked about attrition. Another one I will talk about In this inclusion, is, and I want to always emphasize there is this very strong technology platform. Without that, we couldn't do the training, we couldn't do the skilling, we couldn't bring those AI projects into the areas. But working with not just in the metros, if you look at our centers, we have 10 centers in uh, India, Bhutan, and US. And the centers in India, for example, are in uh, Shillong, Ranchi. Hubli, not Bangalore, but Hubli, Bhubaneshwar. We do have our tech team. Our technology team is Bangalore. The office in Bangalore, we have people all over India. But in Bangalore and in Calcutta. And we have Vizag. And the people we're getting there are the best that we're getting. We're getting them young and they are with us. We just celebrated our 10th anniversary of the company, and one of the best things for me, and I was one of those ones with 10-year sashes. I was very happy. 144 people of the original 173 or 172 people were with us for 10 years. And the the way they've grown, the way they've grown their families, their communities, is a very important part of building the iMerit family.
2: Uh, No, and what you just said about, I mean, 93% women is your retention rate, right? Is fantastic because uh, uh, in my day job, I work in client servicing, right? And the intangible amount of knowledge someone accumulates by working with the same customer, right, is what the customer values because you're right, right? The, The customer's teams move on, but you can provide that continuity as a partner to the customer and not just rely on their internal knowledge systems. So that makes so much sense from a business continuity perspective. And very interesting that you mentioned that, you know, you mentioned Wysag, uh, Ranchi, Shillong, Bhubaneshwar, Hubli, right? Tell me a little bit about, you know, how are your team members and employees who work in these centers contribute to the overall annotation business? What kind of roles do they play? And uh, what would, let's say, be the average age when they start getting in to a role at merit?
0: So first of all, with 5,000 plus employees, the average age of the company is 24.5. And my very sassy set of employees will turn around and tell me the, which is what they call me, the, if it's not for you, it will probably be 23 or 24. So it's a very young company, very eager to work, to learn. So what are the kinds of things they do? So now let's get a little bit technical and get serious about the business. So... We are in the global AI data annotations and solutions space. Annotation brings, builds, trains models, and builds, helps to build the models. We are now into what is called the ML data operations space, which is also the deployment of the models and looking at the monitoring anomalies, edge case monitoring, things like that, drift monitoring. Of the models in production. So we're on, on, there's this meta curve. The one side is the building up and the training of the models and their data collection, curation, model building. And the other side is the deployment and the operation side, which is called ML Data Ops, which we are in as well. What does that mean? A lot of, you know, technology terms. So we work primarily in three areas. AI in what's called mobility, which is autonomous, autonomous mobility, ADAS, which you've heard of, advanced driver assistance systems, whether it be trucks or cars, drone delivery, drone-based solutions, drones for security. Um, and I'll explain what our people do. Precision agriculture, which is an area of a lot of focus for us. so. Let's take precision agriculture. You want to be able to train models and have them in sensors that are looking at fields and to be able to look at detect crops that are just starting to have disease, not after it's spread out over the whole field then anybody can go in and figure it out, but just as it's starting. So crop weed detection, crop detection at the beginning, so that your yield on the land greatly increases, sometimes even doubles. That's one of the applications of Christian agriculture. So our people look at large amounts of data that's collected of crops of different varieties, sizes, etc., and are able to, it's called computer vision, able to annotate them and actually train models around detection of those crops using data annotation techniques. It's very minute, you will hear things like pixel segmentation, semantic segmentation. What does that mean? Being able to do that with the accuracy to one pixel, one pixel. So that's an example of mobility. Autonomous vehicles, we're one of the leading companies in the world working with on autonomous technologies for mobility, ADAS, different kinds in-cabin monitoring, being able to look at, uh, you know, to actually model a simulation of collision, what's called anomaly labeling for trust and safety. So we are one of the leading companies and you would be amazed at the complexity of bringing in a, what's called a multi-sensor fusion and looking at camera images 2D camera images, LIDAR images, and radar images, all in a multi-scene format. And being able to do very highly precision labeling on those kinds of images. So that's another example. A third area is AI in healthcare, which I believe both the precision agriculture and AI in healthcare, in fact, even the autonomous mobility, have a lot of application in India. AI in healthcare is, imagine if you're able to build models that can look at ultrasound images and you can take a handheld device, take an ultrasound image in more like remote areas or of large populations and being able to look at it and use the models to diagnose at a very much a level of, is there an issue? Is there not an issue? Should be taken to a clinic? Should there be, you know, are are there areas in which this person should be further tested? And being able to screen that, being able to screen mother and children. So it increases the accessibility of healthcare. The cost of healthcare goes down and our ability to be able to bring healthcare to a large population. And in the US to be able to reduce healthcare costs in a major way. Some of our major applications for autonomous and healthcare are in the United States. Definitely in countries like India. And to me, that brings a, it almost, it, it almost changes the face of healthcare in India. So these are ways and vision. Then we work with social media companies, large technology companies doing the annotation. So 90 plus percent of our clients are US, primarily US, 85, 90% about. Maybe maybe eighty five percent, maybe five to ten percent in Europe, and just starting up in India, and and so even things like border security uses of drone images using something called point cloud technology. So everything I'm talking about has some advanced technologies with it, and our people learn how to work on it. They're trained in the healthcare uh, aspects. They're trained in autonomous. You know, being able to know all the driving rules in the U.S. Some of us who drive a lot in the U.S. sometimes forget those driving rules too. But you can go in and get that information. I've had debates about this with a young lady sitting in Medier Bruce, you know, in, outside of Calcutta, who's never been in any of these cars, never been outside of that area. She will tell me very clearly, if it's an autonomous vehicle, then it should have a four feet distance to the car. In front of you for breaking, rather than a three feet distance. And I'm like, wow, okay, that that makes a lot of sense. So that's the kind of work they do,
2: and it's fascinating that. And again, sorry, I'm gonna keep coming back to it because I personally find it so fascinating that you've been able to marry two very disparate worlds, right, and in very meaningful ways. It's not just about you know doing work for the, for the sake of doing. And you know, mentioned, you know, it's been your tenth year at Imerit, and you you wore that that sash very proudly. But I'm sure a 10-year journey has its share of uh, failures as much as it has its share of successes as well. So could you talk to us about some of those stories, you know, which have really stayed with you in this 10-year journey?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, that word is a very interesting word, fail. And I was saying this at our 10th anniversary about something that we've learned very much. We need work on new things as an entrepreneur and there is no other proxy for you to learn from, then your journey is fraught with this thing called failure. Now, always remember that the word fail starts stands for first attempt in learning. And that's how we look at failures. It's your first attempt in learning. Now, when you go to your second attempt in learning, and you've learned from your first attempt, you can actually sail. And you can sail to success. So I know it's a little corny way of looking at it, but one has to look at when you're an entrepreneur, especially, I think one of the best things about being an entrepreneur is you fail, you pick yourself up, you dust off and you move on. And it takes you to that second attempt and you really go forward and maybe go even more forward with it than you would have expected in the first attempt. So it's been a new journey every step of the way. I can tell you, you know, and I'm not going to make this all about how wonderful and rosy it's been. I can tell you five years ago, if somebody has said, or even let's say five years ago, that we would be a build a global company around autonomous mobility and technologies and AI in healthcare, looking at my gosh, cancer cell categorization uh, training of surgical robots. I would have been like, where are we going to get the people to do that? Because leave, leave alone, if they are young people from under-resourced backgrounds, you can't even get AI people in the large metros. So we, uh, we looked a lot at how can we develop the talent. And so we created this academy. And the academy has three parts to it. One is, of course, the technology and the the technology training and the project development and then learning different kinds of AI, computer vision, natural language processing, audio AI, those kinds of technologies and how to work with them, how to work with different platforms globally. And now, more recently, how to work in generative AI. So we have made learning and development and the academy an integral part of the growth of our people. So instead of having to hire a lot from outside because we have high attrition, we take the people who are here and grow them into into the newer technologies. In any case, you're not going to be able to get from industry. Go out and try to hire Gen AI experts in the industry who can work on Gen AI and autonomous or healthcare you're not going to be able to find it. So you have to develop them and you have to learn as you go anyway. So we created a very strong technology based We use AI in our own training academy. The academy has a second piece, which is about what we call triple C, which is comprehension, communications, and confidence in English, in language, because a lot of our communications comprehension, in fact, most of it is in English. And it's not just, English you're doing your project reports on slack you are comprehending some very very complex uh, instructions about how to train the models or looking at how the models are behaving and having to write about them which is a generative AI aspect of things so a lot of focus on that and a third piece is in leadership development because many of the young people we who come in do not have not uh, learned to be um, project managers and team leads and stuff in the industry. They're learning from within. So those are three pieces. So we learned early on that we had to do that. So that is one of the, I would say, the academy came out of failures and learnings from that. A second one is really learning that, um, and this comes out of some failures as well, the importance of skill and will in people. So each individual, it's a lot of it is self-learning, right? Each individual has a skill that they've developed and has to continuously upgrade their skills, but they must have a will to do it. And being able to differentiate between people who have the skill but not the will. I mean, they want to work on the same thing and they're very good at it and they want to continue working on it, but AI doesn't work that way. You can see how it's evolved. You know that a year ago, generative AI was not such a big part of our lives. Today, 80, 90%, well, I would say pretty much 100% of CEOs, CIOs, CTOs that I talk to of enterprise companies, and I talk to a lot of them, and I'm part of enterprise. CXO groups, pretty much all of them are implementing some form of generative AI, which most of them would say a year ago was not there. So we have to be at the forefront of we're in an AI and develop those skills and that will to do it, to go do it, understanding that is very important. A third one, and this is a little difficult, is... We would lead with the fact that we were so proud and would lead with the fact that we had this inclusive workforce going to clients. And it was impact teams. And they came from, you know, sometimes from an under-resourced background. So it could be rural, could be tribal, could be uh, minority, all kinds of things. They were 50% women, we were very proud of. We learned the hard way that to clients, they like that, they feel good, but at the end of it, you have to deliver the business value. You have to lead with that. You have to lead with the value you bring them, with your technology, with your expertise, with your ability to solve problems. And it is only after you have that client convinced about that, you've done your POC, your pilots, they work, you're delivering the TPTs and the quality and everything else. Then you bring in the aspect of your, the composition of the people they're working with, because what are they seeing? They're seeing the technology and they're seeing the results. And what constitutes, they'll say, why is it your quality is better Then you say? because these people have been on this for a long time. We have developed the expertise. We're training them on the expertise needed, on the custom expertise needed for your project. And they'll be with you for a while. And that develops it. So knowing when and how to talk about that with a client is very, very important. And same is true with investors. Another learning, and this has been a, a learning and a blessing. We have, I think, the best investors in our organization who believe in these two feet planted firmly on the ground, who believe in it. In fact, at the 10th anniversary, we had a wonderful um, talk from Michael Dell and Dell being one of our investors, the Dell.org being our investor. And Anand, who is from Austin, Anand Srinivasan, is on our board. And he talked about the fact that he said, what I really like about your company, why I've invested in it, because I believe this is the future of tech companies. And he said, because I like your two feet planted firmly on the ground. I was thrilled by that, because here is a guy talking about something that we believe in. Every person in the company believes in it. So being able to really carefully um, I would say go as far as saying selecting your investors. Omedia Network, Pierre Media, founder of eBay, real believer in that, believes that is the future of work. The Dell.org, BII, because they are known as a large private equity firm with real belief in what they call the 2X, 2X gender, we're in the 2X gender challenge to X challenge and believe in inclusion. So when you have investors like that, you work together and each one, when you're building, we have actually a committee, which we call EIG. Basically it's environment, impact and governance. And the impact is diversity and inclusion. So for us, for the board, For me and for the company, diversity and inclusion is not something separate that we work on. It is in the DNA and every fabric and fiber of the organization. Every person we hire, that culture needs to be in and and the belief that we're building a company that has this huge focus on clients and client success and very competitive globally and is doing it with inclusion. And you have to believe in it. It's not, and it's with a very strong basis of technology and technology platforms. We've invested, we have a large tech team and we actually build a lot of products as well, AI products. So that belief is a core value of the company.
1: So the thing about inclusion is it does cause a lot of debate in the world, whether it's, you know, affirmative action in America or reservations in India. Like a lot of people feel like, you know, um, inclusion comes in the way of merit. And I want you to uh, elaborate on why this is, or, you know, your version of it, of why inclusion is so
0: important. So first I would start with, I would never want to be hired because I fit a statistic. Ever. Every person in our company, and even long before I married, I never wanted to be part of Hewlett Packard Labs or start a company in Silicon Valley, take it public, because I was a statistic of you know so many women who've done that. So if you equate inclusion with reservation. It's not even it's something I won't even talk about. I think it has to be because it brings you have to believe that it brings business value, which is what I talked about right in the beginning, the business value of inclusion. It actually gives us a competitive differentiation. I can talk to any client about the years of expertise we have in LIDAR, or we have in. Um, you know, and being able to train surgical robots or precision agriculture, I can talk about that because we do have that. And that expertise has developed from bounding boxes to semantic segmentation, to LIDAR, to multi-sensor fusion, all kinds of stuff, and then building generative AI on top of it. In fact, when, we, when clients approached us for generative AI, they would say, you know, it would really be good, while it will be good to have the people who have gen AI skills, It'd be great for them to have the the earlier computer, what they call now is called normal AI skills versus generative AI, if you can believe those words. Normal AI, it's like old AI, traditional AI skills. And even last year, those were forefront of AI. But we'd be good to have that and have the gen AI on top of that. So... You have to believe that what we are creating has a business differentiation. And then you immediately take away the aspect of inclusion being a reservation and things like that. Having said that, it means we have to invest in the training. So a lot of people look at that and say it affects your margins, your EBITDA but you have to manage that and you kind of balance it. Imagine you put this money into the training, but you also are not investing in hiring people at a 30% attrition and retraining them and putting them in. And believe me that just from a pure financial point of view, this one works better because you both have the client retention, our net revenue retention, as you know, that is a the top indicator of your clients, basically your NPS of the client, net promoter score and client retention. Our net revenue retention is 120%, and usually 80% is considered very good. And part of that is because of the way we approach it, we're very client focused, we're in the forefront of the AI. But these things make a difference. You also, as I said earlier, you can't go to a client and ask for business because you have an inclusive workforce. That is not a reason for getting business. I know a lot of people would not agree with me on this, but I'm just sharing with you the truth of our business. You have to go in there because you're competitively the best, because you're financially successful. You know, our EBITDA. We've been cash positive, EBITDA positive for many years. So we run a very financially stable and high growth company. So if you are doing that and you're able to bring your clients in and train your people, and if your retention is high because you're hiring people from a lot of under-resourced backgrounds who have a loyalty to you, who want to develop with you and grow with you, then you bring a competitive differentiation with that inclusion. Once you do that, there is not a question about reservation or affirmative action. That's the best way I would answer. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. You agree? Yeah. You're
1: yeah. Great. Uh, I think we've come to the end uh, of the interview. And thank you so much for being with us today. This was a very enriching conversation. Thank you.
2: Thank you for tuning into Smartphone Nation. I'm Utsav.
1: And I am Nivedita. This was Smartphone Nation. Tune in next week for another story on how the next half billion are shaping their future online. If you like our show, please subscribe to the Smartphone Nation YouTube channel. Don't forget to rate and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Share this episode with your friends as it helps the show reach more people.
2: You can listen and subscribe to Smartphone Nation on the IVM Podcasts app or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is also available in Hindi and Tamil. A special thanks to Omidyar Network India for making this season possible. To know how ONI is partnering with bold and purpose-driven entrepreneurs who are working to improve the lives of India's next half billion, visit omidyarnetwork.in. Tell us what you think of the show. You can find our hosts on Twitter and Instagram. Udsaf can be found on the Instagram ID at YVTravel42. You can reach out to Nivedita on Instagram at niv.prakasam. You can follow IVM on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the ID at
0: IVM Podcasts.